He has a pretty good excuse, right? Uh, that's a man who's not getting a lot of sleep these days. And uh, we, we, we are praying for you, Ryder and Lexi, and, uh, and for that family. Uh, we appreciate them and Ryder being able to be with us today. Uh, Ryder stayed home Wednesday night by himself. Can you get, believe this? With twins, with newborns, by himself. And here he is uh, living to tell about it. So we appreciate, uh, <laughs> appreciate that very much. We have several who are visiting this morning. We're grateful for your presence. Uh, we are glad that you are with us. And if we have any way of helping you, please uh, let us know uh, after services this morning how we might be able to do that. Now, I want you to continue reading in, Ma- in Numbers chapter 32 because you talk about getting caught off guard. Have you ever been caught off guard? You just didn't see it coming. Something flew at you out of left field, as it were, and, and you just really had no idea that, that it was about to happen. I think here's an instance where Moses was really caught off guard. I don't know that he anticipated that that this was going to happen, and yet we find that it did happen. This morning in the sermon, I want to accomplish two things. I want to summarize what happens here in Numbers chapter 32 by using four words. And then I want to make application of this text to our lives by using three words. And so we're going to summarize to begin with, but before we do, I want to just simply continue reading. Now, we have in verse number 6, verses 5 and 6, Gad and Reuben and their descendants coming to Moses and saying to him, we don't want to go over into the promised land. We want to take our possession on the east side of the Jordan River. Now Moses responds, and we see that in verse number 6, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now continue reading in verse number 7, Numbers 32. Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eschol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from twenty years old and above shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kizanite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years until all that generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone." And look, you've risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all the people. Verse 16 says, They came near him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. And Moses said to them, If you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, And all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him. 
and the, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. Listen, verse 23 says, But if you do not do so, take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones, folds for your sheep, and do what it has proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and our livestock will be there in the, in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. And we'll stop there. I want you to see the picture of what's going on. I'm not questioning your knowledge of these uh, events in the Old Testament. But I simply want to summarize what we have just read by using four words. The first word is request. A request is made by the descendants of Gad and Reuben, and as we're going to see later, the half-tribe of Manasseh. And what they say is, yeah, we know that the, the land inheritance is on the west side of the Jordan River, over in the land of Canaan, but we are wanting to stay over here on the east side of the Jordan River. We're wanting our inheritance, our land, to be over here on this side because, well, it just seems like good land for livestock. And we have a lot of livestock, and we would like to, to just take our people and have them here. That's the request. Number two is a response. Moses then goes into this long list of saying, What are you thinking? Is that really what you're going to do? He said, is it, is it good for you to stay over here on the east side of the Jordan River while all the rest of your brethren go over there and fight? Moses? Moses is speaking words of experience. He's heard this song before. He knows this story, and he's pretty sure he knows how it ends. His mind immediately went back about 40 years in time, didn't it? He went back about 40 years in time and he says, I remember the last time that people said they weren't going to go into the land. I remember the last time when those 12 spies returned to Kadesh Barnea and 10 of them said, there is no way. There's no way. Those people are too big. Their cities are too strong. And there's no way that we can go in and take that land. And Moses remembered how God reacted when that was their response, wasn't it? He, he remembered. He remembered the anger of God burning hot against his people. He knew that for 40 years they had been wandering in this wilderness just waiting for those generations of people to die so that now this generation could actually go in and take the land. Moses had, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us the age of these men standing in front of him from Gad and Reuben. But these are men that we know who were younger than 20 when that event took place. And Moses is reminding them of what he thought of as happening yesterday, no doubt in his mind. I remember how that played itself out. And now if you're saying that you're not going to go in and take the land, you're going to discourage your brethren, and God's anger is going to be aroused, and this is all going to play itself out again. And so he offered words of warning. And you know that he had to have been just a little bit caught off guard. Wouldn't you have been? 
you run a little math, you do a little bit of calculation, and it's not hard to do, but what you figure out is that when you add up the fighting men from Reuben and Gad, you have an, a, a warrior audience of 84,230 men. Now, that's quite a large number, 84,230. That is 14% of Israel's army. And Moses hears, I've got 84,000 men who now are saying they're not going to go fight. What are we going to do? Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Is Moses' response. So you have number three, a pledge. In verses 16 through 19, these men respond to Moses and they say, we're not saying that we're not going to go over. What we're saying is we would like to build cities for our little ones to stay, for our wives to stay. We would like to build a place for our livestock to be kept and then we will take up our weapons and we will cross over the Jordan River and we will go and fight. That's the pledge that they make to Moses. And so by number four, we get to permission. There's a request, a response, a pledge, and there's permission. Moses says, okay, if that's what you're wanting to do, if you're wanting to have your land inheritance over here on the east side of the Jordan River, but you are not going to leave your brethren hanging out to dry, if you are planning to go over there and fight for them and help them win the land and gain their inheritance on the west side of the Jordan River and then return, okay, I'll allow it. I'll let you do it. But he says those important words, doesn't he, that we have, and maybe you have them underlined in verse number 23. If you don't do this, you are sinning. And be sure, he says, your sin will find you out. God knows the pledge that you have made in my presence today. He knows what your intentions are. And if you fail to live up to your pledge, your sin will find you out. Friends, that's the context that I want us to consider this morning. Now, I want to tie just a little bit of a bow on it. And I want you to turn over maybe keeping your finger there, but going over to Joshua chapter 22. I always like to know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. How does this play itself out? What do we know? Well, again, you, you, perhaps you know this very well, but let's just be sure we're to be on the same page. In Joshua chapter 22, the Bible tells us right at the end of chapter 21 that God gave them rest, that the land had been conquered, that Reuben and Gad, they had gone over with their brethren and they fought and they conquered the land of Canaan. Moses, of course, has not been able to cross over the Jordan River, but Joshua has led them. And in Joshua chapter 22 and verse 1, the Bible says that Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You have obeyed my voice and all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But he parts with these words in verse number 5. 
Take careful heed to the commandment and law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments, to hold fast to Him, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tent. They lived up to their pledge. They went over the Jordan River. They helped their brethren fight. They helped to dispossess the land of its inhabitants, and they helped their brethren to gain their inhabitants in the promised land. What does that have to do with me? And what does that have to do with you? Three words by way of applying for us. Number one, cooperation. Cooperation. I want us to see the cooperation that was going on here. The cooperation that Moses says needs to be in place in order for you to take your inheritance on this side of the Jordan River. The cooperation that had to be in place in order for them to go together as brethren to fight. Cooperation number one with God. We must work in cooperation with God. I appreciate what Brother Mike said just moments ago. Isn't it wonderful to know that the true God is our God? The true God is the God that is fighting with these men in order to take that land, the land that he had promised. Moses says we are to be fighting in cooperation with God. Now, go a little further in your Old Testament to the book of 1 Chronicles. And we're looking together at these tribes, Gad, Reuben, and half of Manasseh. Here's a little bit more of the story. In 1 Chronicles chapter 5, these tribes now on the east side of the Jordan River have made war. Now notice what's going on in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. I want you to drop down to verse number 18. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says the sons of Reuben... The Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 valiant men, men able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with the bow, and skillful in war. And they went to war. And they made war with the Hagrites, Jether, Napish, and Nodab. And they were helped against them. And the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in the battle. He heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. Then they took away their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 of their sheep, 2,000 of their donkeys, and 100,000 of their men, for they fell dead because, underline it, the war was God's, and they dwelt in their place until the captivity. Now you fast forward in time, and you see these tribes on the east side of the Jordan River at war. And the Bible tells us that they were able to win the war because in the midst of it, they cried out to God, they trusted God, and God helped them conquer. As we go through this life, I want to remind us that the New Testament is very clear. And lest we ever forget or try to tell ourselves that this is simply not the case, I want to remind us, brethren and friends, that the Bible says we are at war. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, Paul tells Christians, you better take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
We're not fighting a physical uh, war against a nation as it were, but we are fighting against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're fighting a battle against Satan and against those who are fighting on his side. And that's why Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, you better endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul would say again in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 12 that we are to fight the good fight of faith in order to lay hold on eternal life. Yes, we are engaged in battle. Yes, we find ourselves at war. And if we're going to win, we better be in cooperation with God. The war is God's. And we better be fighting with Him. But we also need to be fighting alongside our brethren. Listen to me. Not with our brethren, but along with our brethren. There's a difference. We need to be fighting alongside of our brethren as we're fighting in cooperation with God. Listen. God's people working together in Nehemiah 6 and verse 15 rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, the Bible says, in 52 days. Four friends working in cooperation with each other lowered their paralyzed buddy down into the presence of Jesus where he was healed. People working in cooperation. The Lord's body, the church, is described, is described as a body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. And Paul says there, those members all need to be working together with one another, right? And so he says, it's ridiculous if the eye should say to the hand, I have no need of you. It would be ridiculous if the head would say to the feet, I have no need of you. We all need each other. And we need to be working in cooperation. Now I want you to go over to Philippians chapter 1 and notice the words of Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, I just want to pick up at the, right at the end of chapter 1 in verse number 27. What does your Bible say? Does it read like mine? In Philippians 1 and verse 27, Paul says to these Christians, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see the emphasis? So that I, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see the emphasis? and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that you have from God. For to you it has been granted, it has been gifted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now hear in me. You remember the conflict that Paul had when he was in Philippi? You remember that it was in Philippi that Paul and Silas were thrown into that inner prison and their feet and hands locked in stocks. You remember it was in that prison in Philippi where they were singing and praying to God and at midnight there was that earthquake and they were loosed. But you remember they were in Philippi in prison. Paul says, you remember the conflict that you saw in me and you heard was in me when I was in Philippi? And he says, you need to understand that, that you need not to be terrified in any way. Verse number 28, you need not to be terrified in any way of your adversaries. There are going to be times when you suffer as a Christian. I don't want you to be scared of that. 
I don't know what word you might have exactly there in verse number 28. You've heard me say terrified. You know, the idea behind that word is a, the idea of a racehorse that gets spooked during a race. You've heard of that. Maybe you've seen that happen in a race that you've watched. You know what happens when that horse gets spooked? It takes off wildly in another direction and often without a rider. Right? The rider's been lost. But it takes off wildly in another direction. Paul says, I don't want you to take off wildly in the opposite direction because you have adversaries. I want you to fight. I want you to stand in cooperation with your brethren. I want you to be of one mind and of one spirit. I want you to see the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and I want you to march forward with it. That's the picture. You fight in cooperation with God and you stand in cooperation with your brethren. May we never reach a place where we are content to feel ill will toward our brethren. May we never be content to find it within us to be happy or to be content with bitterness, with whispering behind backs, with holding a grudge against our brethren. May we never be content to find ourselves in that place. We are to advance the gospel. And how is the gospel going to advance? How are we going to magnify the name of Jesus in our community if we're not standing in cooperation with our brethren? Why will you sit while your brethren go to war? Are you really going to sit while your brethren go to war? Are you really not going to stand in cooperation with God and fight for the cause of Christ? We are at a war for souls, and we need to be engaged in the battle. We need to be working cooperation. Number two, the word is relaxation. But I want you to put in front of that the word no. No relaxation. That's what Moses says, right? I don't want you to sit while your brethren go fight. There is no place for relaxation as a Christian. There's no place for us to be sitting while our brethren are fighting. Are you going to sit here while your brethren go fight? I want you to understand this. Just by Moses saying that, he shows us that it is possible to sit while our brethren fight. That's a real possibility. And real people are really doing that. Are sitting while their brethren are fighting. We have God on our side. The battle is, is won because of God being on our side. Are you choosing to sit? Or are you in the fight? I want to say this, and maybe you've thought about it, and maybe you haven't, and I'll not belabor the point. But when it comes to working for the Lord, there are some who want to substitute worship for work. What do you mean by that? I mean, tell me about him. Is, is he a good worker? Well, yeah, he's a great worker. I mean, whenever we assemble to worship, he is always willing to lead a prayer. Is he a good worker? Oh, he's a wonderful worker. Whenever we worship, he's always willing to, to wait on the Lord's table. Is he a good worker? Oh, yes. When we worship, 
uh, he's always willing to fill in the blank. Is she a good worker? Oh, she's a great worker. Whenever we worship, she's always there. And sometimes we're substituting work for worship. And the Bible doesn't do that. We have an obligation, and don't misunderstand me. We have an obligation to worship God on the Lord's day. It is a wonderful privilege to assemble and worship God. And for all of those men who lead in worship, we are grateful for what you do. And there are so many who have great willingness to do so, but for whatever reason may not be able. We're grateful for men who lead. Ladies, we are grateful for your presence, for us all being able to collectively offer our worship to God. It is a wonderful thing in the sight of God, and we must do it. But don't substitute what you consider to be working as worship. What are you doing when you're not worshiping for the Lord? What are you doing when you're not here? What am I doing when I'm not here? The Bible makes a distinction, doesn't it? Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, the, the disciples continued in the apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, they were gathered together on the Lord's day to break bread, as we see Paul there in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that they, uh, there was a time when the church came together to take the Lord's Supper, to worship God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, we find that there was a time when the church was together on the Lord's Day and they were commanded to give as they had been prospered. But the Bible never calls that their work. Because you go back in the book of Acts and you see what's going on in Acts chapter 5 and verse 42. What are they doing when they're not worshiping on the Lord's Day? The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Working in cooperation with each other as they worked in cooperation with God. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching Christ. Preaching the Word. There was work involved. They were fighting. They were engaged in war against the devil. They were trying to win souls for Christ, fighting alongside the Lord and their brethren. There is no time for relaxation. Don't substitute work for worship, and don't substitute work for words. I love, I really do, I appreciate those people who see a need and will tell me about it and tell you about it. I am... I am not very good. I'll just tell you, one of my talents is not coming up with ideas. I'm not a great brainstormer on many topics. There are many of you who have great ideas, and we want to hear ideas. And I love and appreciate ideas. And, and I love that, that you see that there is a need, and there's something that we can do. And, and you think this is going to be a wonderful way to reach out and, and to be engaged. But there are some people who only will talk about it. But when it comes to doing, 
They'll not. We need to be more than talkers. We need to be doers. You have heard it said, right? Jesus didn't say, well said. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Do. People of action. That's who we're to be. Our faith is going to be displayed in action. And that's what this is about. And again, I just think if we don't talk about it, every so often it doesn't get talked about. It needs to be talked about. We love God. We want to be about the work of God. And that's what this is about. Standing on the promises. Brother Mike was not scheduled to be a song leader this morning, but Brother Steve Horton texted about 7 o'clock and said he couldn't do it. I appreciate Brother Mike doing and he's such, such, such great. But standing on the promises is a wonderful song. But you've heard the preacher say there are too many who are singing standing on the promises, but they're living as if they're sitting on the premises. Which one is you? Let's not be content on the sidelines of the Lord's work. Let's be engaged. Cooperation. No relaxation. And I finished this morning with this thought. A question. I want to pose a question. What if, what if Reuben and Gad did sit while their brethren went to fight? I can I ask you that question? And I won't take long. You've been very patient with me. But listen to me. What if, what if they sat while their brethren went to fight? Can I offer this? That is unfair, first of all. It's not fair. They've all been wandering in the wilderness. They've all gone over there to the east side of the Jordan River. They have helped dispossess that area. And now Reuben and Gad and half Manasseh say, Hey, thank you very much for helping us get our inheritance. We'll just stay here, thank you. Now you go and fight for your own. You can see that. That's unfair. That's not hard to get. Is it fair for your brethren to be engaged in the battle and for you to sit on the sideline? Is that fair? Can I offer this second of all? I want you to think this morning with me about the joy that they would have robbed themselves of. Now think about that. What if they sat? I want you to think about the joy that they would have robbed themselves from. You know the joy that comes from accomplishing something. You know, you've got a task to set out, and and you know the joy that comes from accomplishing the task. This can be very simple. Miss Elsie was telling me this morning that she uh, enjoys cleaning her house because it's a task, and she can see that it's been accomplished. Waylon is, is putting sheetrock up uh, on bare walls. And that's a task. You know, when you walk in and you see bare walls, and when you walk out, you see they're covered. It's an accomplishment, and you can see that, and it's good to see. Over 400 years prior to these events in Numbers 32, God made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham. He made it later to his son Isaac. And he made the same promise later to his son Jacob that this land is going to be yours. That this land is the land that your descendants are going to inherit. Four hundred years later, 
It's your generation that gets to take it. It's your generation that gets to take it. And you don't go. And you sit while your brethren go. Think of robbing themselves of the joy of that accomplishment. God was going to win. He was going to take it. It was going to be theirs because He had made a promise. They got to go. They got to dispossess it. It was their generation. And so I go back to Philippians and I look at the joy of Paul. What brought him joy? Chapter 2 and verse 1 in Philippians says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy. By what? By being like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord. Of one mind. Cooperation. Working with each other as we work with God to fight the enemy. The last thing I want to say is if they had set and they didn't go, they were going to discourage their brethren. That's the concern that Moses has. He says, if you don't go and fight, you're going to discourage your brethren and they're going to turn against God and God's anger is going to be aroused. You're going to discourage your brethren if you sit while they go over the Jordan River and fight. You know the enthusiasm that comes with being a new convert? I mean, you watched it, right? You've seen somebody when they obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and you see the enthusiasm of being a Christian, the enthusiasm of knowing that their sins have been washed in the blood of Jesus and they've risen to walk in newness of life and they are excited and they're ready to go. And they look around and they say, why isn't everybody else as excited as me? And sometimes discouragement will set in because people around them are discouraged. We need men and women of every generation to be enthusiastic about the work of the Lord. We need every generation to be involved in defeating evil and fighting for souls because that's our mission. That's what we're about. We're to be engaged If you lead them, Moses says, if you leave them, you're going to destroy these people. Now, I'm going to sit down in two minutes. I'm going to say this. I am as excited about the progress of the church as I have been. I have been to foreign countries and I have seen people who are hungering and thirsting for truth. And I really believe, and I'm not, I'm not lying, I really believe that we're right on the cusp of that happening here as our country now becomes its own mission field. I believe that there are people who have never heard the gospel of Christ and they're longing to hear. And they want to know about salvation. And they want to know what happens when I die. I really believe, and you can call me crazy, but I really believe that we're as close to overturning Roe v. Wade as we have been since its inception. I really believe it. I think people are waking up a little bit. And if we don't take advantage of this opportunity in front of us, if we're not praying God for open eyes as we search for open hearts, 
Shame on us. We can't be sitting while our brethren are fighting. Are you standing on the promises? Or are you sitting on the premises? We serve a wonderful, most powerful God. And we need to fight. Will you be engaged? Let us never be guilty of sitting. Let us understand that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4 and verse 4. Let us understand that we truly are God's fellow workers. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9. And let us be engaged in the fight. As a Christian this morning, if you've been sitting when you should have been fighting, and you need to respond publicly to such, or if you'd like the prayers of the church, then please, if you need to respond, the invitation of the Lord is extended to you. But this morning, if you're ready to engage, if you're ready to become a Christian, please don't sit. Walk. This morning, you know the Bible says that you need to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. You know the Bible says that you need to repent of sin in your life, that you need to confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. You know the Bible tells you that you must be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't sit. Walk. Please, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, put it off no longer. Come now while together we stand and sing.